In a world filled with information, where do you turn to get straight talk about retirement, investments, and your money? Lock it in to the longest-running financial talk show in Arkansas and let us help you build the bridge between information and application. Real financial change begins right here, and it starts with you. It's showtime! Good morning, everybody. On today's show, it's another edition of Ask Us Anything. We're taking your questions about retirement, investing, really anything money-related, plus our monthly Q&A with Ryan Dietrich from LPL Research. This is the Get Ready for the Future show. Welcome aboard to another edition of the Get Ready for the Future show. We are glad to have you along wherever you're watching or listening to us today. My name is Scott Inman. John Shrewsbury is back in the saddle after one or two weeks off. Two I think weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. So yeah. we're we then, glad to have you back. I'm, I'm here for a couple of weeks and I'm gone again. And you're gone again. This time it's going to be vacation, right? That's right. You got some vacation. That's well right. earned That's time right. off. That's and, right. I'm going to go and uh, try to contribute to the uh, travel economy a little bit and uh, see what I can do. Well, hospitality and leisure needs it. Uh, I'm sure they do. Yes. <laughs> they, they, they've been struggling of late and so uh, we're going to try to support them all we can. Yes. Well, Janet's been here for the last couple of weeks. No vacation time for you. In the last couple of weeks, no, but I will be out next week. So you it's you know it's, it's summertime. People, yeah. people got. I'm here. I'm not. I'm here. I'm not. You know, yeah, kind of part of it. Well, I hope everybody had a, a great Fourth of July weekend uh, and getting back into the swing of things. Or maybe you're on vacation listening on podcast. We don't know where you are today, but we hope you've got a question. We've got the opportunity for you to chime in and ask us anything about retirement, about money in general, about investing. We've got a few questions that we've received uh, since we've been asking for those over the last couple of weeks, and we're going to take that on. But if there's anything you want to know and you're watching on our live stream today on Facebook or on YouTube, you can just send that into the comment section and we can address it. And then we're going to ask a few questions a little bit later on in the next segment of Ryan Dietrich from LPL Research, the chief market strategist who is always gracious enough to join us about once a month, and we'll talk markets with him in a little bit. We ready to dive in? Sure, let's Absolutely. go. Absolutely. Well, we're going to start with something real easy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> cryptocurrency. Yes. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah, we get a lot of questions. I would say from clients. I would say in meeting rooms with people who are prospective clients, and we were getting questions on that on today's show. So, what is it? What is cryptocurrency? And should I be investing in it? That's our question. So, let's talk a little bit about what it is and what it isn't. And I'm okay. going to hand off to you on the expertise on this because I know that you. You you probably know a little bit more than me about this. Well, we've we've dug into it, yeah. and and clearly it's been a thing for a while, and it's not been something that uh, the uh, the investment community has mm-hmm. really stepped into in a yeah. big way, uh, because it has not been a security. It is still not a security. Cryptocurrency is actually property. It is uh, essentially what it is is it is digital money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's basically virtual currency. So it's a little hard for us old timers to get our heads around this. You know, we're 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 still trying to be sure that we've got some cash in our pocket as opposed to swiping the debit card right. all the time. <laughs> uh, and so this is just the next phase of this. But it is a fad. It is a and I say a fad. It's probably without a doubt. I'm sure it's probably here to stay. Right. But it is clearly something that is a a wild wild west world. And and it's something that that uh, we have begun to to very very, very slightly tiptoe into uh, almost by force because, yeah. you know, there's so much hype around it and there's so much uh, talk around it because Bitcoin has been this incredible juggernaut in terms of return. But there's a lot of questions around uh, the, the whole viability of any digital currency. So let's talk about digital currency as compared to what we would just call traditional currency. You know, if you've got if you've got a, a uh, George Washington in your wallet, you know, traditional currency or even your debit card, frankly, because it is representative of traditional currency. So when you think about this, the difference here is that your your cryptocurrency is not backed by any government. So it's a it's a uh, peer-to-peer type of deal that you've got going on without any central authority from banks government etc so there's it's just not as well defined really Mm -hmm. to use that very broadly to talk about it and i think it's really interesting scott people uh and this this happens with gold too so yeah. let, let me so kind very of, similar yeah. Yeah. Ways, yeah. yeah let me develop this a little bit some of the most conservative people that i know come in going hey 
do I, do I need to invest in gold? Do I need to invest in, in cryptocurrency? And I'm like, okay, what happened to you? Yeah, right. <laughs> because those are volatile assets. Well, Gold is, is... But a, it's a curiosity thing. It is, yes. a, it is a curiosity thing. And I think that's where the, the heart of their question comes from, is from a point of curiosity. They hear about it. They hear about these big returns that people are getting. And somebody, you know, mined some Bitcoin the other day. And then, you know, six months later, they're a quintuple millionaire or whatever. <laughs> not that a true day. story. Not yeah. That day. Yeah. Yes, yeah. right? Yes. Tomorrow they may not be. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. That's that's how volatile this is. Right. And so, yes, there are a lot of stories out there about people actually making a good bit of money in this. But you have to understand that there there is that part of it. And then there's kind of the dark side of it as well, because it's basically an unregulated currency. And there's a lot of of theft and crime and what have you that is linked to the use right. of cryptocurrency. And so it has been a very uh, sticky situation for folks in the investment community to get involved in because, frankly, we have a fiduciary responsibility and cryptocurrency is something that I don't know that you can get your arms around whether it's uh, in, the, in the client's best interest. Right. And I would, I would challenge you if you're, you know, if you're going, hey, is this my thing? Do I need to do this or not? I, I would challenge you to ask your, yourself the question, to what end? Like, what's my end game with this? Because I'll give you an example. We, we know somebody who actually um, was involved in mining cryptocurrency early on before really probably anybody in this room knew what it was, frankly, and and did well because of how long they've been in it. But early on, um, purchased an electronics item with some of that cryptocurrency. And at the time, it made sense. I mean, why would I use my money money when I could use this? Okay, fine. But in hindsight, when you look back, that was a six-figure purchase that could have been, you know, way, way yeah. cheaper when you measure it in our regular currency. So what are you going to do with it? Hmm. And and at what point, if it's, okay, all right, it's going to fund my retirement. I'm going to get rich quick through this. Well, at what point do you get out? Because, guys, if you look at the volatility on this yeah. just this year, it's been off the charts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Think about how, what type of an investor are you? Right. And when it's up real high, do you go, oh, it's going to keep going up, so I'm going to stay in? Or do you go, let me let me cash in and I'm going to walk away and not worry about what it does. I think that highlights the key difference here. Are you going to invest in it as a means of currency or are you going to invest in it as taking a gain from it and going back to the U.S. dollar at some point, right? right? Because currency at its at its most base form is what is someone willing to accept, right? Yes. For In exchange for something else. And it's not really, it's beginning to get more widely accepted, but not to the extent of the U.S. dollar. So to your point, when you're going to exchange, you're going to use Bitcoin to buy a laptop, the value of that laptop is going to be all over the place if yeah. you try to, to, to resell it. I think other thing, another point of clarity, too, is is that Bitcoin is a type of cryptocurrency. Bitcoin is kind of like Kleenex, right? There's yes. there's tissues, but, yeah, there's, right. but everybody <laughs> calls it Kleenex. I think That's Bitcoin right. can be accused of being everything. And there's yes. tons of them out there. And some could be better than others for, for quite certain. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, as I said at the outset of the show, it's a wild, wild west kind yeah. of thing. But, yeah. you know, people are creating uh, cryptocurrencies. And there was one that was totally fake. It, it yes. had absolutely no yeah. substance in reality, but it had a price on it. And the price was going up and people were buying it. And it was like, Okay, but when the merry-go-round stops on that deal, it's the folks that are left holding the bag that that really have a problem. But so let's talk about fraud. You know what what do you do in these circumstances? And really, you're just like you said, John. You're kind of left just holding the bag because you know if there is fraud with regard to actual physical cash. There are avenues that you can pursue to to you know maybe get that recovered. If there is fraud with regard to your bank card, your credit card, there are avenues that you can pursue. With this, you're really pretty limited in the event of fraud or theft. And um, guys, let's talk about uh, this this deal in Japan. So there was a Bitcoin exchange that went down in in Japan, and it's called Mount Gox, and it failed after hackers apparently stole Bitcoins worth get this hundred hundreds of millions of dollars from the exchange. So Mt. Gox subsequently filed for bankruptcy, and a lot of these Bitcoin users participating in the exchange are just left, like we said earlier, with very little recourse. I think the the important thing for our listeners and viewers today is that you have to make an evaluation of any any security or any investment Mm -hmm. 
is what role is this going to play in my overall financial plan? Yeah. You know us at GenWealth, we're always going to come back to what's the plan. And there is really no definitive role that this can play at this particular point in time because it's not very well defined what the value of, of any of the cryptocurrencies are. Now, I want to make a, a, a real interesting distinction here. There is Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies and what have you. And then there is this concept of blockchain. And that is an yeah. actual technology that is something that you can invest in in companies that, that use blockchain technology. And blockchain is what cryptocurrency actually runs on. Think about the cryptocurrency being the vehicle and blockchain being the road. Right. And, and so the, the blockchain technology is something that you definitely can invest in. And, and obviously, Bitcoin is something that you can invest in. But blockchain is way more defined and, and very tangible, where Bitcoin is very speculative. And we have yet to find the ground in which we could go in and recommend a purchase of Bitcoin yeah. uh, under any circumstances in someone's financial plan. Yeah. And then there's the other concept of this, too. If you want to tiptoe into that, these waters, you could actually consider the equity of the companies who are trading the Bitcoin, right, That's or creating the Bitcoin. Because there's, there's, there is the equity side of that as well. Still very volatile, yes. but maybe not quite as volatile as the currency itself. But I think to your point, uh, to answer the question that we started with from, from the viewer, is should I be investing in it? Well, maybe, but not with your retirement money. And that's yeah. that's the key point yeah. here is if you if you like to go to Vegas, I would treat this as going to Vegas. Yeah. Rolling the dice, so to speak. Yeah. So l let's clarify what we mean by Vegas money. We we want to be sure that you separate as as Scott's indicating here that you separate the money that you're going to need for retirement from I kind of like to dabble in this a little bit. This is what that is. This is your Vegas money. You don't go to you don't go to Vegas with your 401k. You go to Vegas with if we don't come home with this, it's okay. Yeah, I, that's what this is. I think that's the jumping off point, Janet. Is if you can invest money and if you lost it all, not saying okay. that you would, but if you lost it all, you could walk away from it and go. Okay, I lost it all. Right. And if you're okay with that, then okay, maybe an investment into cryptocurrency might be the right thing for you. But we're not going to make that recommendation to you as part of your financial plan because we've yet to, to really settle on what this looks like. I think everybody is is of the mind that, okay, this is kind of the going thing and it's, it's going to become something at some particular point in time. But right now, I think what it is is speculation. We've got just a couple of minutes left in this segment, but I do want to kind of touch base on the idea of going it alone in any of these types uh, of, of investment endeavors, so to speak, because we're going to bring up Robin Hood on this, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. when you think about tiptoeing into anything speculative or really the investment world in general by yourself, what are you getting into? And, and John, we remember the GameStop blow up and, and everybody mm -hmm. using Robin Hood and, and we had young people trading and making a lot of money and losing a lot of money. And then we come to find out FINRA gets wind of what Robin Hood is doing, and there's a big fine that just got levied yeah, on Robin Yeah, it just, just happened last week, as a matter of fact. Robin Hood was fined $57 million in order to pay about $12.6 million in restitution to clients. Yeah. The regulator, FINRA, cited a litany of offenses, including communicating false and misleading information to customers and major trading platform outages. Hmm. The sanctions represent the largest financial penalty ever ordered by FINRA, and reflect the scope and seriousness of the violations. By the way, FINRA is the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority that basically GenWealth operates under, mm -hmm. LPL Financial operates under, and all of the broker-dealers in this country operate under those regulations. And Robinhood got nailed big time because of some of the irregularities that were connected with that big run-up of, of uh, those stocks. And back to your point of the wild, wild west, when you're going in alone, yeah. there there is this element of the wild, wild west that you're getting into uh, if you don't have a coach to walk you along. Bottom line here is if you're constantly chasing trends, you're not constantly chasing financial independence. We're going to take a break and be joined after the break by LPL Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich as we continue with the Get Ready for the Future show, Ask Us Anything. Back in a moment. Inviting you today on the Get Ready for the Future show to Ask Us Anything. Send in on the comment section if you're watching on our live stream today anything about money, retirement, uh, investing. 
But for this segment, we're going to be doing the question asking as we are joined, as we are at least once a month, by LPL Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich. And we always say we are glad that he's so gracious to join us. Well, gracious takes on a new meaning today because Ryan is actually on vacation and joining us from his car on the phone. So we really appreciate you taking the time, more so than usual, Ryan, today. Well, Scott, I appreciate it. I mean, honestly, I just ate some lunch. I'm nice and happy. Let's talk some markets. <laughs> That's awesome. You And, of course, you're never really truly on vacation if you're watching the markets, and we know you are. So let's let's start with uh, the equity market. The, the The markets have definitely still been going strong. Just read on the LPL Research blog yesterday before – it uh, it ended down yesterday. We were on quite a run, seven straight days, I think. Uh, uh, we were up, and we were on a tear. And your team has firmly been behind investing in equities for the first half of the year. That's paid off with big returns in the market. Let's talk about where we go from here. How are you feeling as we move into the second half of 2021? Yeah, Scott, I mean, clearly this year with the S&P up ballpark 15%, your average bond is about flat, maybe down. It's been a really good year, obviously, for stocks over bonds. And as we head into the second half of this year, we, we don't anticipate another 15% out of stocks. But we really do think stocks probably will continue to outperform bonds the second half of this year. We get into all the stuff that's happening, right? The reopening, amazing earnings growth. I know some of the recent economic data has been a little bit on the weak side, but the truth is we're probably going to have the best year of economic growth in our country since 1984. And there's a chance we get a little bit better. It'll be the best since the early 50s. So, there's a lot of things out there, but and I know we're going to talk about some worries here in a minute, because believe me, there are some worries. But just big picture, you know, one more thing, and then we can go on. You know, it's a good start to the year. I just said that, right? So we took a look last week at what happens when the S&P is up at least 12.5% at the midway point of the year, which is obviously a really, really good start to the year. Last six times that happened, the rest of the year was higher. You go back like 87, that's a scary year to hear, but 87 was the last time we had a year start off really strongly, and the second half of the year was actually down. Now, here's the other kicker. The median return the rest of the year, when you're already up at least 12.5%, it's like 10% median return. The average year is up like 5%. So what I'm getting at, a good start to a year historically says, listen, there's probably continued gains the second half of this year, and that's uh, the camp that we are in and remain in. So, Ryan, let's go with the things that, that you're worried about for just a couple of minutes. First, you say that, that year two of a bull market tends to be choppy. Why is that a concern? Yeah, John, I mean, I think, you know, the key thing there is maybe it's not a huge concern because you think about it, up at 90% off those lows of March 23rd, 2020, Maybe we're due for a break. But I think the key thing is a lot of people have been spoiled. I mean, we've been spoiled, John. We've had a 5% correction on the S&P since October, all right? I mean, it's just been almost 45 degrees straight up. So I think some people might forget that markets can go sideways. Markets can go down, heaven forbid. So that's going to maybe catch some people off guard when that eventually happens. And you go back in history, year two of a bull market, like we just said, historically, what happened here, too? Well, the economy's doing great, right? Year one of a bull market, everyone's looking at each other like, how in the world are stocks going up? The economy's weak. Year two tends to be, wow, the economy's really good. Stock market might be a little choppy or flattish as it consolidates some of those gains. So it's not like, you know, end of the world worries. I mean, year two, historically, John's up 10 out of 10 times since World War II. Year two of a bull market usually is higher, but you can have some chop and some consolidation. The last time we had a year two of a bull market was in 2010. It rewind for a second. We saw a 16% correction in the summer of 2010. Stocks eventually went all the way back up to new highs by later in 2010, as we remember. But I think it's just key to remember, history says year two can be choppy and frustrating. And honestly, I know the stock market's like making new highs almost as we speak, but you look at things like small caps, mid caps, if you've been in those all year, they've literally gone sideways all year. So there are there is some choppiness out there um, under the surface. So, Ryan, second on the list of things that worry you right now is fewer stocks making new highs. So why should investors be concerned about that? Yeah, Janet, you know, you think about it, I kind of explain it like this. Think like an army, right? If the soldiers are advancing, the generals will also advance. But we don't have as many soldiers advancing. Like like I said, just the other day, S&P is making new all-time highs, but we did not have very many stocks making all-time highs. Yeah, some of the large-cap tech names that kind of have been pulling things have been pulling, pulling the, mar- the overall market higher. But when you don't have broad participation, again, it's not end-of-the-world stuff, but it is a warning sign, a yellow, let's call it a yellow flag. 
it's a yellow flag that maybe something's a little off here. And, and the idea that, hey, listen, we're entering the seasonally weak third quarter. You know, um, August, September historically been weak after a big rally, some weakness under the surface, maybe some continued consolidation or maybe even a 5 to 8% correction, which after a 90% rally would be perfectly normal. That's something we clearly that clearly has our attention. Ryan, we always believe that uh, that the market will return to fundamentals. We talk about that when we talk to you yep. an awful lot. The, the last item on the list of things that worry you is elevated stock valuations. Now, let's let's draw a distinction if there needs to be one, because that does sound a lot like, hey, the market's at an all-time high, so it's not a good time to invest. And we just talked about seven uh, consecutive all-time highs uh, recently before that dip right. at the first part of this week. Is that the same thing? And if not, what's the clarification there? Yeah, I mean, let, let's clarify it this way. At the start of the year, valuations were high, and you would have missed 15% gains on the S&P 500 so far. So, you know, we're not ignoring it. I mean, again, it's a concern. Um, you know, but what, so that's a P-E multiple, right? Price to earnings multiple. The price part is how stocks are doing. But that E part is actually up like 15% so far this year as well. So earnings in our eyes are almost justifying where stocks are. But, but just bigger picture here, um, you know, that when you have those high multiples, you can kind of get knocked off. We've seen what happens when you have higher multiples and the market kind of gets a correction. Some of the higher growth areas with higher multiples like tech and growth, those areas, might get hit a little bit harder. We saw that back in April when we had some of those concerns. So it's, um, you know, not as much a near-term concern, maybe like a three to five years out. Yes, returns after the huge rally we've seen maybe come back to trend here. But again, uh, earnings season is right around the corner. For next time I'm with you guys, we'll talk about earnings season. Um, you know, there's a lot of expectations. Earnings season will continue to be strong, and that E part of the PE multiple can justify where we are. But again, it's that yellow, yellow cautionary flag again. I guess I want to point out. Ryan, uh, we all all obviously use highly diversified portfolios here at GenWealth with the help of LPL Research and, and the, the models that you guys put together. And included in those highly diversified portfolios, in almost all cases, there is a fixed income component. And your research team recently talked about the fact that one of the things, one of the biggest mistakes that investors can make is not adequately understanding the risk that they may be taking in their fixed income part of their portfolio. Talk a little bit about why uh, that's a concern of yours and, and how investors need to be looking at that. Obviously, we think that, that fixed income has a role to play, but we also need to understand the risk. Uh, John, that's exactly right. So Mark Zabicki, our new director of research, uh, brought up this concept and, and talked about it a couple different places. And it's as simple as, you know, we know stocks and bonds. People assume all bonds usually are kind of provide that safety net that when you get rocky times in stocks, they do well. That's like, you know, your treasuries and, and, and some of your longer-term bonds. But we call those core bond holdings, right, that, again, tend to be that diversification and safety net, if you will, when stocks hit rough, rougher times. There's the non-core area, and we call those things like high yield, right, emerging market debt, bank loans, but some mortgage-backed securities. What you need to know if you've got a heavier investment in those, they tend to um, be a little more stock-like. Last March, mortgage-backed securities and bank loans really were crushed in March 2020, I should say, sorry, when stocks were going down, whereas your core bond held up a lot better. So we think it's so important for people to realize kind of what they're investing in. They hear, they hear bonds and they do certain things, but you don't always have that safety that you tend to get from core bonds. So that's not to say that you can't have a place, and believe me, there's always a place for bank loans and mortgage-backed securities and high yield. It's just to be aware that um, if the trouble really hits, you know, you know what hits the fan, those areas might not provide the diversification needed. Here's a quick story, guys. I start with LPL in January 2015. Or no, yeah, yeah, January 2016. I'm adding a year there. I've had so much fun. January 2015. <laughs> you remember back to that time, the market really took it on the chin. And I was brand new, so don't blame me for this. We had some over in our bond markets, we had a good, or our bond investments, we had a good deal of high-yield exposure. What we learned then, and, and we're trying to remember right people now, that did not provide the safety that we thought when we had bond exposure because high yield was hit just as hard as stocks were hit in early 2016. And again, we saw that in March 2020. So it's just, um, you know, in a low-yielding world, you want to reach for yield. That's where you get it from your bank loans and high yield. Um, but still, just be aware it might not provide that safety net you thought you had when and if, or when, I should say, it's going to happen eventually, when stocks hit some turbulence. 
Ryan, we've got just a, a couple of minutes here, um, but this is a topic that we hear a lot about. We talk about uh, clients come in talking about the debt that the United States have has on a regular basis, and they have concerns about that. What would you say with the state of the U.S. debt and a debate coming in August about whether to raise the debt ceiling again, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, to be honest, we do think the debt ceiling is going to be raised again, no matter who the president is, no matter what the party in power is. It seems like you kind of have that kick-the-can mentality. We don't think that's going to change. And in debt, clearly, we added so much debt, obviously, last year with the $5 trillion of fiscal stimulus and everything the Fed did as well. Um, so that, that is the number one question, along with inflation, right? Debt and inflation are two top questions we receive. But looking just at that, corporate, uh, I'm sorry, the government has a ton of debt. But if you look at corporate America, just companies, right? Companies with balance sheets are actually in the best shape they've been in a long, long time. Nothing like they were right before the financial crisis where companies were leveraging a lot of debt. Um, and also net wealth, right? I mean, debt's, that, debt's like an all-time high, but net wealth is an all-time high actually been increasing. So we think it's really important to point out the fact that debt might be high, but other aspects actually um, are almost justifying it. And again, could that lead to lower growth over the next five to ten years, all the debt we have? You know, potentially it very well could. We saw that last decade of the 2010s when the stock market gains 400%, yet, you know, you barely hit 2% GDP in your best year, and there's a lot of reasons for it. But the overriding debt could be a big reason. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things that we've heard about a lot of debt in the United States for a long time now, Janet. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it hasn't really, it doesn't matter yet. But there's other things that, that again, the corporate balance sheets and earnings that really drive the economy more so. And those are things we're focusing on that are still more positive than that negative uh, debt that we have. Interesting perspective on that question. And as always, to the whole interview, Ryan, again, we appreciate you so much joining us uh, while you're traveling. LPL Chief Market Strategist Ryan Dietrich, thanks for being with us. Guys, I'm honored. I did turn the air conditioning off. I'm sitting in this car. It's like 100 degrees. I'm going to turn the air conditioning on. It'll make a bunch of noise. <laughs> oh. Next time, I'll be in the office. So take care, guys. I appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Ryan. Yes. Get Ready for the Future show continues right after this. Always like to offer a follow-up thank you to Ryan Dietrich. He's probably not listening at this moment, but he's uh, he's always gracious to join us, and we so enjoy the time that he gives us once a month, uh, his insight and perspective from LPL Research on the markets. And if you would like to sit down with a Gen Wealth Advisor, I want to give you an opportunity to know how to do that. You can reach out in one of two ways. You can call us toll-free at 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. Or you can always send us an email. Info at GetReadyForTheFuture.com. It's a conversation. That's what we're having today. If you have questions, you can send that in the comment section if you're watching on live stream today. We have a few questions we've gotten over the last couple of weeks when we've been asking for those questions on social media. And our next question on our list is, what do you think about the housing market right now? So getting kind of into the into the weeds on this a little bit. Boy, I mean, the the general headline here, it's a great time to sell a house, but then you have to buy one, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to live so, somewhere. So there's a problem here, right? I mean, interest rates at historic lows, they have ticked up a little bit, I guess, in recent weeks, but they're still borrowing money is easy to do right now, but that has resulted in quite a premium, John, on on purchasing a house. Well, this is a classic inflation setup. You know, yeah. if you take a look at, at the American public, they have more cash available these days than they've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. People have been very conservative, paying down debt, and and building up cash reserves. Well, as my parents used to tell me, that's money's burning a hole in your pocket, mm-hmm. you know, and and you got to do something with it. And so, what is happening in the housing market is really interesting because there are pockets across this nation of areas that the housing market is just nuts. Uh, I know all across the South, the housing market is really, really hot because a lot of people are moving out of areas that maybe, you know, were really restrictive during COVID and things of that nature. And they're moving to the South where there's more sanity in terms of, of, you know, the the government. More freedom in terms of COVID restrictions. Yeah, Yeah, and things like that. And so that's part of what's driving this, the availability of cash and then the availability of cheap money. Uh, where I get concerned about this is when I hear that people are putting uh, houses on the market at already an inflated price. Yeah. And then there are seven or eight offers and those offers get bidded up. And so all of a
of a sudden people are actually closing on a house that may be 15 or 20 percent higher yep. than it really ought to be. And they're they're going, look, I don't care what the appraisal is. I'm going to buy this house. Yep. That is the 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 uh, the essence of a frothy market in real estate. And I know the real estate professionals that I visit with are concerned about when they take away the punch bowl, when interest yeah. rates go up, when when the economy slows down or whatever the case may be. Who's going to be left holding the bag in this particular situation? And it's going to be those people that overpaid on houses. Mm-hmm. And here's what's happening, guys. They are they're running out and doing this, and they're saying, okay, if everything works right in my economy, then this will be just fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But how many times has yeah. everything worked just right in your own personal economy for an extended period of time? And you don't control all those other variables. I mean, I think about in, in our neighborhood – um, our neighborhood is very kid friendly, but it's also grandparent friendly. So mm-hmm. there, like, there's a lot of people who want to live in our neighborhood, and so when a house, even before the housing market that we're in right now, when a house would come up for sale, man, it would go very quickly in our neighborhood. And now they're not even listing them with realtors. It's just going so quickly. But I look at like what you're talking about, John. If we have somebody who who buys a house in our neighborhood and it's and it's over the current value and then in five or six years they want to move because that's what a lot of people do now we've all been in our houses since we built them many years ago and we don't have any plans to move but a lot of people are not like that they'll live in a home for a period of time and then they'll move and so if you're going to pay you know, 15% more than the current value in an inflated value time period and then want to move, you mm-hmm. better be thinking that through because you're going to be stuck. You're, you're going to be in a situation where you owe, at the time that you want out, you owe more on the house than its then current value. Yeah. I can clearly remember, and Scott, you were living here at that at that time too. Back in 2008, mm-hmm. this was a pretty desolate place around yes. Saline County because uh, they had built and built and built in 2004 through 2007. Yep. And, you know, it was like, oh, Oh, the housing market is always going to go up until it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then there are a lot of people that lost houses that couldn't sell their house when they needed to or wanted to, or had to take it, you short know, sell the, it. Uh, yeah, short yeah. sell it, take yeah. it on the chin. Mm-hmm. As far as you know, they got more into it than what they, you know, they had to come up with money yeah. to to get out of the house. And so, you know, you just and, and I know that time, you know, kind of dulls our senses to things like that. But right. you have to think about. How's this all going to go if something goes wrong? I think that that's the question that anybody needs to ask if they're talking about buying a house. And just think about the numbers and how easily that could happen. You're talking about premiums on on house uh, housing about twenty percent. Most yeah. people are doing good to put twenty percent down on a house. Yep. So you could get upside yeah. down really quickly. Uh, and have negative equity in that. So there, it, it, it is worth proceeding with caution, to say the least. Let me talk to people who are just starting out, because I, I'm, I'm at that point in life where my friends have, have kids who are like, I'm out of college, should I buy a house? And you're a financial advisor. So they, they call me and go, hey, what do I need to be doing right now? If, if you are in a position where you're, you know, let's say you're renting a, an apartment or something like that, but that rent payment is less than your house payment would be, unless you can find a steal of a deal on a house, which is highly unlikely in the current market, I would bank that extra money. And then when the housing market turns around, then you've got a significant down payment and you're not buying at a premium. And another opportunity, and this is highly dependent upon your family. For some families, this would work. For some, it would be a nightmare. But I know some people who are outside of college and they're they're living back at home with mom and dad and they're sharing some expenses because it's, it's right to do that at this point. If you've got adult income, then you share some of the adult expenses, but they're able to bank a significant amount of money every month and they're going to be able to turn around and pay cash for a house in the future if they want to. Yeah, and I think that there, if you, again, go back to the 2008-2009 time period, the folks that really made out well, really well during that period of time were the folks that had cash that could buy those short-sale right. houses yep. and buy them on the cheap, and now they are able to sell those houses at a premium and and capture some gains. And, and it really goes back to the old adage that Warren Buffett has always said, you know, when everybody's buying, you need to be selling, and when everybody's selling, you need That's to right. be buying. That's yeah. right. You know, one other thing that's driving this that we didn't talk about is what happened with the pandemic and everybody working from home. Yes. And I think that that has shown companies that they don't have to bring people into the office. I think we're seeing a lot of people move 
because they can live anywhere now yeah, yeah. because they yeah, can work, do their job from home and that will die di- down so to your point janet the win is very important here yeah. so we want to address that and that really ties i think into the overall uh perspective we have on inflation and we continue to say that it is it is transitory in other words that we are seeing spikes in certain sectors of the economy in prices, but we believe that's going to levelize as things normalize in the economy. And I think that we've even talked to realtors that hopefully expect that by the fall, things are going to start coming back a little bit towards normal in the housing market. We're seeing that with lumber, John. You know, new construction is, is another thing we didn't talk about. I mean, that was ridiculous to think about building a house yep. a few months ago. But now lumber, which spiked about 400%, has dropped in the last six weeks by 40 or 50. It's starting to come down, and we continue uh, to read LPL research, which which leads us to believe that inflation is indeed transitory. Inflation is transitory, but if, if you're talking in the context of your retirement, it mm-hmm. is going to be impactful on your retirement. Even a two or three percent inflation right. rate right. is going to be impactful on your retirement. Janet, I know you've done some research on this and have some numbers that you want to share in regard to inflation and, and how it really impacts retirement. Well, when you think about two percent, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. But we've talked about inflation being the silent thief. You know, it's like you, you've got money in your pocket and inflation comes up behind you and takes dollars out of your wallet because you're you're you have to have more money to be able to purchase the same goods. And it's just this gradual, almost invisible process. So it, it is very real. But what we see and Johnny, you're talking about the, the numbers. What we see is there are so many people and I think particularly in the South, we live in a very conservative area. There are a lot of people who are like, I don't understand investing, so I'm kind of scared of it. So I'm going to have all this excess money in the bank. Well, guess what? That money that you have at the bank, above and beyond your savings amount, that money is earning jack diddly squat. That's the official calculation mm-hmm. on it these days. It is earning jack diddly squat. Yeah, there you go. It's there. So here's the deal. You are going backwards in your purchasing power with those dollars. We actually ran a scenario recently for some clients who were getting ready to retire and they had really all of their retirement assets sitting in cash-like instruments. So money markets, that type of thing. And what happened when we ran the scenario is they had out of a thousand different scenarios, they had zero probability for success in retirement with their assets all sitting in cash. And guys, the answer to why was that is inflation. Because right now, on paper, it looks great. But we know inflation is real. And as the years progress through this couple's retirement, they're going to have to utilize more dollars each year to buy the same amount of goods. Therefore, we have to outpace in retirement. Here's your key. You've got to outpace your withdrawal rate and inflation over the years. And if you're not able to do that, and you can't when you're earning Jack Diddley squat at the bank, if you're not able to outpace inflation and your withdrawal rate, you're going backwards in what you have. Yeah, when we say inflation is transitory, I think what we're saying is the current inflation rate is yeah. transitory. It will come back down, but inflation will still be with us, as we as we pointed out here. Well, and, I mean, you, I'm sorry, you talked about, Scott, going back to, you know, we had deflation for a period yeah. of time last year because of COVID, and that makes the current inflation rates look worse than what they actually are. Right. And guys, I think that if you're looking at retirement and you're trying to decide, okay, how do I deal with this inflation thing? We've got a great opportunity coming up to actually plug into a a workshop that we're doing that actually speaks to this inflation issue. Yeah, and we're so excited to be actually doing workshops again, live and in person. You know, COVID shut that down and we were on the webinar and those were great as well. But we are actually getting back out to uh, live workshops, and there is one coming up this month called Destination Retirement. It's going to happen in Bryant. Uh, well, it's actually in Benton. It's the Bryant area. Right. Benton Event Center, July 29th is the date at 6.30. So make plans to attend Destination Retirement. And as John mentioned, we're going to go over seven key steps to help you work towards your destination retirement. And a key component of that is how to have a retirement income plan that accounts for and plans for inflationary adjusted raises. You can visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash events to register for free for Destination Retirement July 29th at 630 at the Benton Events Center. 
Ask us anything. That's the subject of today's Get Ready for the Future show. We'll have a few more questions after the break. Welcome back to the Get Ready for the Future show. Ask us anything. That's what we're talking about on today's show. Our next question on the list is, will Social Security be around for my retirement? And this one is an ongoing question that we get from clients, and it really doesn't matter to much extent how old they are. I do think it probably comes maybe a little more often from the younger client. But here's what we know. In a nutshell, yes, we think it will be around. We're pretty confident it will be around what form, how much, that's what potentially could change. Well, here's what we know. If nothing changes, if there's no legislative changes, the Social Security Trust Fund for Retirement Benefits is projected to be exhausted by the year 2034. Now, if that happens, that just means there will have to be an adjustment to the amount of benefits that go out. By law, Social Security has to exist. They can't shut down the program without a legislative change, right? right? So there will be an issuing of benefits. So Social Security will be around post-2034, even if the United States government does nothing. What would happen is if the fund is depleted, the Social Security Administration would have to reduce benefits possibly somewhere between 20 and 25%. And that would be across the board. Mm-hmm. So you could have a pay cut for current retirees. That's the danger. However, as we get closer to 2034, and I do think it's going to be December of 2033 when this happens, <laughs> Congress is going to finally do something about it, guys. But they're going to kick the can. And, and you know, I, I give Congress, we give Congress a lot of grief on this, but the reality is the changes they're going to have to propose yeah. are not going to be popular depending on which side of the aisle you land on and probably across the board. Right. And the biggest vote, voting block in this country are people who are – closing in on receiving Social Security checks, so they have to be very careful how they tread, but something has to be done. I like to say us old people like to vote. Yes. And, and, and so there are, you know, there's a, a huge amount of political pressure to do something about this. Now, if you want to be fatalistic about this and go, I just don't want to know, I don't think it's going to be there, then here's what you do. You reduce the Social Security uh, benefit amount that you get on your statement. Just reduce it by 25% mm-hmm. in your planning process. And if you do that, then that's kind of the worst case scenario because even if the trust fund runs dry, there's still money coming in from people working and that money will have to turn around and go back out. There just won't be enough there to pay full benefits. So by their calculations, it's about a 20 to 25 percent reduction. And so, Janet, for folks that that are just absolutely, you know, doomsday feeling about this, then a 20 or 25 percent reduction in their anticipated Social Security check would be the right way to plan. Yeah, absolutely. I I will say, though, uh, we have haven't done the uh, the next issue of the doomsday edition on this yet. I don't think a lot of people have thought about the impact of COVID on this. Yeah. And frankly, the government has not done new calculations from that. And when you think about how many people were not working for an extended period of time and therefore were not paying into the system and and then many people who have not gone back to work even since that time or people who worked at a lesser capacity and therefore they they made less so they paid less into the system there will be an impact from that whether it moves the timeline up or it changes the percentages but there's there's something there to consider but I'll go back to the Winston Churchill quote that I, I almost always talk about on social security he said on another topic obviously but he said the american people after exhausting all other measures ultimately will do the right thing right and and i think with washington now it's questionable about what the details of the right thing are (laughs) but i think they will solve this in some way and like you said scott at very much the last minute because ultimately they want to be reelected. did you see what just happened there uh janet when she brought up that whole covid impact on Social Security. I heard Xanax bottles opening all <laughs> across Genwealth land. You know, well, there's a little dose of reality yeah. there. <laughs> and I do think the other component that that is worth talking about is one of those solves, one of those uh, fixes that could be out there is a means test. And so yes. for higher net worth uh, individuals yeah. or couples, yeah, Social Security could be in jeopardy in some way, shape, or form if that's the route that Congress goes to help fix it. But but it would have a lesser impact on those folks sure. in, in that case. I, you can debate the fairness of that and all yeah. that. 
type of thing. But I think what's more likely to happen is there's probably going to be an adjustment in the taxation on Social Security Mm -hmm. uh, where they remove the the cap on Social Security taxes. I think there's also the possibility that folks like our kids will will actually, you know, get a Social Security check maybe by 65, maybe by 70 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I can see that pushing of that age uh, downward uh, toward, you know, an older age for you to be able to qualify for Social Security. And that's actually legitimate because there are folks that are living longer Mm -hmm. and uh, and working longer. And so therefore, they could, you know, theoretically push that that deadline, if you will, for being able to draw Social Security out a few years, and it would make the system a lot more financially stable. I think for those of you who are still young enough to do some planning, um, you know, before you get to retirement to bridge this gap. Now, if you're at the point of retirement, you've got planning to do regardless. But to bridge this gap, if you have time, I just think it speaks to the message that our country has really been sending for quite some time. And that is that your your retirement needs to be your responsibility. That's something we saw in the shift from pensions to 401ks. And I would say the same thing here on Social Security. It needs to be the icing on the cake for you, not the cake itself. Yeah, and I think that's why we exist really at GenWealth is there was this big move away from pensions and things of that nature to do-it-yourself retirement. And we knew that that people were not equipped to do it themselves. They're, they don't have the education, the training, the knowledge, the, the ability to do the calculations and things of that nature. And that's what actually caused Gen Wealth to be able to exist. Because in the land of pensions, you don't need a Gen Wealth. That's right. But, but that's Gen right. Wealth ex- ex- is, is, I'll get it out in a minute. Gen Wealth exists to be able to help you plan for your retirement. And that's the whole ready to retire process that we put people through here at Gen Wealth to get them prepared for that ultimate retirement and the replacement of that paycheck. If you'd like to go through that process, you can call toll free 866-653-PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. Or email us info at getreadyforthefuture.com. We've got time for one more question. Should I be concerned about rising taxes. You mentioned the taxes on Social Security. How about taxes overall? And I think there's two approaches to this. The Under the current proposal, what President Biden is talking about, more than likely not. But over time, over the next 20 or 30 years, we are still, believe it or not, it's hard to believe this when you live in it, historically, we're at pretty low income tax levels. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that there is a, a great deal of hype about, you know, taxes and things of that nature. And there are folks that, that are in our industry that really try to make a living on this whole tax issue. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is you got to pay tax on qualified money at some particular point in time. The question is, when do you pay it? And when you think about qualified money, that is the bulk of what America is going to retire on. Mm -hmm. It's 401k money, IRA money, things of that nature. Yes, you do have to pay income tax, federal and state income tax, on that the withdrawal of those dollars regardless. It's the question of whether you're going to pay it now in the form of maybe like a Roth conversion, or are you going to pay it when you withdraw it? And there is no easy answer to that question. There's a lot of variables to that, and it's really something that I think that you should not really be making retirement decisions solely on the issue of taxation because you just yeah. don't know exactly where that's going to fall. I mean, I'll give you an example. We're working with a couple that they're going to be living on some excess savings. So cash money, non-qualified, you know, we don't have to worry about taxes. They're going to do that for the early years in retirement. Well, that's a prime opportunity to do some Roth conversion. So that'll put them in a better situation later on tax-wise. But at the same time, we're going to be looking at how much of that are we going to convert? Because if we convert too much, then it can put them in a situation where they're paying more on their Medicare premiums. And so I would say this really points to don't go it alone. There are a lot of little loopholes that if you don't know about it, frankly, they're landmines. They're they're not loopholes. I think it's important to, this is how I would describe it. It's not about getting the tax out of the way. It's about strategically planning right. for it so you can minimize it. You're going right. to you're gonna yeah. have to pay it, but minimizing it can can be the the proper uh, strategy to go forward. We can't predict what politicians will put in place with regard to taxes, but we can create a plan to help you minimize the impact as you draw income in retirement. 
Has that ever happened? Like you at my last word after that, sentence? Man, uh, you must have paid Casey to time that. Wow. <laughs> no, I was watching the clock. I'm just that okay. good of a timer. Yeah. Oh, okay. Today. That is today. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the bell for final thoughts. Janet, we'll start with you. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of questions today, and I would say while there's a lot of different topics we've talked about, we might not have covered your question. Your question might be very individualized to your situation. So whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever your stage of life is, whether it's about taxes or Social Security or, or a topic that we didn't even touch on, that's why we're here. We're very educationally focused. Feel free to reach out and ask us your questions, and we'd be honored to be able to help you in that way. Scott, I will say that there is a huge difference between information and knowledge and wisdom. Uh, and there's a ton of information out there. If it were just an information question, then you can go to the Internet and look it up and you get an answer. But it's really the context of that and how that information is applied to your situation and the proper application of that information that, that really does define wisdom and knowledge. And so what you get when you sit down with a Gen Wealth Advisor is you get a whole team of people all the way from LPL Research to the, the team here and all the specialties that we have have available here at GenWealth, you get a big team working to apply wisdom and knowledge to the information that you have. And I think that it's time to really step into the game and get the ready to retire process up and running and working for you as you head toward retirement. My final thought is one of the great places to ask questions is by attending one of our live workshops and they are back. Destination Retirement is coming to the Benton Event Center July 29th at 630 You'll learn seven key steps to help you work toward your destination retirement. And you can visit GetReadyForTheFuture.com forward slash events to register. It is free to attend. Put it on your calendar, July 29th at 630. We're out of time for this week. Hope you'll join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the Get Ready for the Future show. If you enjoy hearing from the Gen Wealth team every week, make sure and subscribe to the podcast. And you can always find us on social media. Search for Gen Wealth Financial Advisors on Facebook or on Twitter at Gen Wealth FA. The Gen Wealth Financial team is available to you 24 7 at info at getreadyforthefuture.com or call our offices at 866 653 PLAN. That's 866-653-7526. You should personally consult a financial advisor before making any investment, and no strategy can assure success. GenWealth Financial Advisors is an Arkansas-registered investment advisor with securities offered through LPL Financial. Member FINRA SIPC. 